either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Yeah, well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry. You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. The calendar has turned. Welcome to spooky season. That's a good thing. <laughs> we like it. Definitely some spooky stuff to talk about this week and a bunch of other stuff, too. We've got a decent amount of movies to dig into, so let's do it. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And we are from MadWolf.com. This is the Screening Room Podcast. Let's start out with a big sequel. Eddie Brock attempts to reignite his career by interviewing serial killer Cletus Cassidy, who becomes the host of the symbiote Carnage and escapes prison after a failed execution. This is Venom, Let There Be Carnage. I have tasted blood before, and that is not it. All I ever wanted in this world is carnage. I'm not a crazy man. I am a vengeful one. Well, the big thing early on that caught my eye about this one is that it is directed by motion capture genius Andy Serkis. It is. It is. And you know what? That's a step in the right direction, partly because Ruben Fleischer, who directed the first Venom, did a pretty uninspired job, to be honest with you. And uh, and that's too bad, because he had done Zombieland, yeah. and, and that's a great predecessor stylistically, but he just, it, it didn't fit together very well. And, and the reason that the first movie was as good as it was, was because Tom Hardy and Riz Ahmed, who played off of each other, yeah. they're great actors, and they were great in that movie. And it was massively popular. It was really more popular than I, it surprised me how, how successful that movie was. Yeah, it was incredibly successful. And I think part of what was memorable and fun about it is that you you really never get to see Tom Hardy in a, a comedic role and that is essentially what it was mm-hmm. uh, a lot of pratfalls a lot of physical comedy and then there's like the voice in your head odd couple thing that he has going on this Jekyll and Hyde thing he has with Venom right. the alien symbiote so we get more of that a lot more of that this time they really are sort of a bickering odd couple like an old married couple who can yeah. no longer stand each other and that is very fun <laughs> is, yeah and then Eddie gets bitten by Cletus Cassidy. Woody Harrelson. Woody Harrelson, because he's not, Cletus is not only a serial killer, he's a cannibal himself. So he takes a bite out of Eddie, and then he gets a little bit of that symbiote blood, and Mm. then he has, his is bigger, it's meaner, it's red, and that's fun as well. I have to say that they're very different types of villains. I preferred the Riz Ahmed. Riz Ahmed was so perfect in that Lex Luthor sort of just too smart for his own good. He did a great job with it, but... You know, Woody Harrelson is never a bad choice. Honestly, no matter no matter who you have him cast as, and in this case, kind of a laid-back, twangy psycho, he does a fun job. He has fun with it. And he and Tom Hardy are funny together. It's not a brilliant film. One of the things I do like about it, though, is that it's much more of a horror-comedy-style film, certainly, than the last one. It's very campy. Yeah. And I think that that serves it well because it's not one of those sort of comic book movies that takes itself super seriously. And also what caught my eye is Tom Hardy gets a writing credit does. on it as well. Uh, well, a story by right uh, in the credits. And also it's it's lean, uh, only an hour and a half. Yeah, that's one of the things. So many times when you watch a comic book film, it, it, it takes itself so seriously. And one of the ways it shows that is it's three and a half hour running time. Yeah. Well, this one doesn't. It's, it's light, campy. 
seasonal entertainment, and I think it I think it executes that well. And what it does have going for it, like so many superhero sequels, you don't have to worry about the origin story. Right. We know that we're in, and let's get to the fun. Exactly, and that's really all it is. I mean, it's it's not a brilliant movie. It really isn't, and it's got some you know some some serious weaknesses. Naomi Harris plays Scream, who is a great villain, a mm-hmm. great Spider-Man villain. She's really underwritten. They don't do enough with her. That's too bad. And Michelle Williams as well is back. but She is. But and she's actually, she's better this time. She was, I mean, Michelle Williams is always wonderful. She really felt out of sorts in that first Venom. Like, they didn't know what to do with her. She's got a little bit more of a part in this one. It makes a little bit more sense. Again, it's not a brilliant film. It's a little bit sloppy. It's a little bit messy. And weirdly enough, I, I felt like the CGI was less crisp hmm. this time than last time. But all in all, I had fun with it. Yeah. And you may have already guessed this, but there is a stinger at the end and a good one. So you want to sit through all the credits and uh, don't miss out. And that is in theaters now. Venom, let there be carnage. Next up is one a lot of people, including the two of us, have been looking forward to. A look at the formative years of New Jersey gangster Tony Soprano. The many saints of Newark. Gotta do something about Dickie Malasani. Maybe some of the things you do aren't God's favorite. You lead by example. We'll make the right decision. This kid's got what it takes. As far as your nephew goes, I'm listening. Stay out of his life. This one is out not only in theaters, but it's on HBO Max as well. And boy, for a lot of people, they just feel that this crime family feels like family. These characters do. Uh, And I know it it was probably the last TV series we watched on a regular basis. Yeah, it's certainly, I mean, as, aside from like a mini series now yeah. and again, but I mean, this show is on for six seasons and we watched it yes. for six seasons. Six, and- six seasons over eight years and it's such a devoted fan base because it was a great, great show. It was a great show. And there's just so much fun in this movie, even though it's a, a very serious, dramatic, bloody movie full of full of family dysfunction and backstabbing and, and murder. It's so much fun it to revisit these characters because we all we already have so much investment in them especially tony but to get to see everybody 30 some odd years before we first met them is just a blast and the movie is certainly for the fans there is fan service here but it's also pretty darn successful in forming some new characters that we don't know and some very interesting new character threads. Yeah, you know, it's mainly it invests in characters who, you know, for the mythology of the the series, were dead before the show came on. Yeah. And those are your those are your core characters. Dickie Moltisante, who's Christopher's father. Right. Who was Tony's hero growing up. So you get a chance to see why that is. And is is played by Alessandro Navolo, who's always good. And he is the center of this film. He is. That's, I think, a lot of people maybe might be surprised that Tony, young Tony, is not the main character. In fact, for the early part of the film, he's played by a very young school-age boy who also looks like... He does. He really looks... (laughs) And and he's not, as far as we know, related to James Gandolfini. But he looks like Tony. And that's the early part. And then once he becomes a a young man, high school-age, then he's played by Michael Gandolfini, James's son. And uh, and he not only obviously looks like him, but he delivers a very heartfelt performance. He yeah, yeah. But uh, but you're right. Most of it is around. Not a, he's not a true uncle to Tony, but they call him Uncle Dicky. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, he's very influential in what Tony eventually becomes. And that's what the movie wants us to see. But there's a lot more going on behind the scenes, especially with Dickie's... First off, he, he starts as a partner in crime, but then he becomes a adversary, Harold, played by Leslie Odom Jr., fantastic actor. Yeah. And that's a lot of the conflict in the movie as well. It's a great conflict. It's a great couple of new characters, right? But it's also uh, it's a nice context for the time period. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought that that was a fascinating way to look, to expand the way you look at these mafia families. Yeah, yeah, and you've got a great, a great group of actors playing... Some of these characters that we know, like Corey Stoll as Uncle Junior, and then you have Vera Farmiga playing Tony's mom. And you've got Billy Magnuson, who, who you may not know, but he plays Polly Walnuts. He also t- turns up in the new James Bond movie right. that we just got a chance to see. And then John Magaro plays Silvio, and he's great. He, oh, he's so he, great. He adopts little Steven's ticks, and there's a thing going on with the hair. This is great. Oh, yeah. And the so, two of them yeah. are. I mean, it is a hoot to see yeah. how they develop the characters that you know so well yeah. at, at, at 30 years earlier. It's so much fun. And then Ray Liotta plays actually two, two important parts. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this, which is very interesting to see where it goes there. But uh, I think fans of the show that have been waiting for this are going to be rewarded, but but not just with fan service. And it's uh, directed by Alan Taylor and written by Lawrence Connor. Now, Lawrence Connor has a long history of pretty mediocre stuff, really. But he did write a handful of Sopranos episodes, including, including one that won him an Emmy. Yeah. And the same with the director. He directed a handful of, of Sopranos episodes. Yeah, and uh, David Chase, uh, originally I thought he had more to do with this, but he's really just getting a, a based on characters created mm-hmm. by in this. But I think they do a really solid job. And so by the time that song kicks in yeah. woke up that you're yeah. like yes yep. Yep. and it's it's really it's really satisfying i really have a hard time somebody asked me this morning how someone who had never seen the show how they would appreciate that and that's a good question because i i just have a hard time coming out of it and and thinking about it from from the aspect of not having a, a previous investment in these characters, it wouldn't be the same. Well, no. However, you'd still understand it. You'd you understand don't have it. to have seen any episodes to to be able to follow it along. But I think you're right. I mean, if you have never seen the show, yeah. then when you see Vera Farmiga's character and when you see, you know, Polly Walnuts and when you figure out who some of these people are, yeah. you don't have that like leap in your heart. But yeah. I do think that it's a very solid standalone film. It is. Somebody asked me this morning. They they were in the middle of binging the original series and. Just just had a couple of seasons to go, and I said, you know what, go ahead, finish it. Finish binging mm. and then come to this. I think it'll be much more satisfying. But uh, overall, yeah, good job for the many Saints of Newark Sopranos prequels in theaters and on HBO Max. How about something for the family? The Adams get tangled up in more wacky adventures and find themselves involved in hilarious run-ins with all sorts of unsuspecting characters in The Adams Family 2. It's hideous. It's monstrous. It's the old Adam's camper. Time for some family bonding. What? Huh? We are going on a road trip. This is cruel, even for you. Let's roll! This is kind of a misleading title a little bit, because I I know there are people who... There are people who didn't realize that two years ago there was an animated Adams Family movie. And so they're thinking the live action Adams right. Family films from, I don't know, the 90s. Yeah. Yeah. And it's amazing how much this one is similar to the first animated one. Not so much in plot, but just by the way it 
sort of just sits there until the Wednesday Adams character comes along yep. almost consistently to to rescue it and and give it really the only bits of fun that it has. And it's got a great voice cast. I mean, Charlize Theron is Morticia, mm -hmm. and Oscar Isaac is Gomez. Mm -hmm. And then you've got uh, Bette Midler in there. You've got uh, Nick Kroll is doing Uncle Fester. Mm -hmm. Snoop Dogg. Snoop Dogg is Cousin It. Uh, but it's just, it's Chloe Grace Moretz and her perfect deadpan. Oh, yeah. As Wednesday that, that rescues it. Other than that, it gets very convoluted this time. There's, well, they go on that laziest device of lazy devices, the road trip. And then there's a major plot about Wednesday possibly being switched at birth, so she's not really an Adams. And, and then they go into this weird Dr. Moreau territory I'm not even going to get into. <laughs> but it's very convoluted, and it's just not that much fun. They often forget about what makes the Adams family at its core so fun, and that is seeing this macabre family as a fish out of water interact with people who don't live that way. Yep. But Wednesday always does, and she's always got the funniest lines, and Chloe Grace Moretz does a great job. So uh, other than that, for the kids, it's it's perfectly fine for Halloween, I suppose. But uh, it's just very much like the first one. That wasn't really anything to write home about either. And I'm kind of surprised that it did well enough to get a sequel. Agreed. It's Wednesday's Child that saves it again. And this is uh, in theaters. And actually, interestingly enough, this one is debuting on all streaming services. Yeah, it's just VOD. So as opposed to so often, you yeah. know, it's HBO Max or it's Amazon Prime. It's somebody that has like a deal with a studio. In this case, it's just... You can rent it, or you can go see it in theater simultaneously. Yeah, it's probably not a bad idea for this one. Adam's Family 2. Oh, boy, get ready for something shocking next. Following a series of unexplained crimes, a father is reunited with the son who has been missing for 10 years. This is called Tatane. Well, let me tell you about the way she looked, the way she acted, the color of her hair. Her voice was soft and cool, her eyes were clear and bright, but she's not there. And this is going to be tough to talk about because you just don't want to give anything away. No, I just that synopsis is all we want to say because knowing anything else will just rob you of some of the mesmerizing power of this movie. Let me tell you, it's rated R and it's a hard R. <laughs> um, this is just one of those what am I watching right now movies. But You uh, know, it's been a good year for those, it, yeah, right? It, it has, has been a good year for those, but this is the creme de la creme in that category. Yeah, because if you've listened to this podcast, you know that we didn't like that about Malignant when it went there. It was one of those, what am I watching? Because we thought when it got to that point, we weren't invested enough right. to have that payoff. This is different. I, I was invested all the way through, but it still got that jaw-on-the-floor type of uh, type of visuals. You've got body horror. There's a lot of body horror here, a lot. And I think a lot of people as well, judging from the single dudes that were at my screening, a lot of people were thinking this is maybe more... Sexy? Yes. There, there certainly is nudity, and there certainly is sex, but not... Sexy. Right. No. No. <laughs> uh, a lot of squirm-inducing moments, um, and, but, but still, you can't look away. This is writer, co-writer and director Julia Ducourneau. Did mm -hmm. I pronounce yes. that right? So it's in French with subtitles. And her, raw yes. from a few years ago was probably the best film we saw that year. It was so great. And actually, that actress from uh, Raw, Garance Morellier... Uh, turns up in a supporting role in this. But really, the two lead actors here, you've got Agathe Rossell, I hope I pronounced that right, uh, the female lead, and then Vincent Linden, the male lead. They are both great in very demanding, physically and psychologically demanding roles. 
But uh, in the end, it, it's, it shows you all these just shocking sequences and shocking visuals and these changing color palettes and these pulsating rhythms and pulsating sounds. And while it's showing you all this incredibly horrific images, in the end, though, it's a story about even the most depraved and damaged people, the lengths they will go to to be cared for and to have the opportunity to care for somebody else. It takes a bunch of wild WTF left turns to get there. And it's also very darkly funny in a couple of spots. But in the end, that's, I think, the message that it's, uh, it's sending. And the filmmaker herself has said this, is, this movie is her wild animal. And boy, it, it feels like it. It just, <laughs> it, where it goes, it almost has a mind of its own. But I don't think I liked it quite as well as Rod. Um, the metaphor is not quite as effective. But it's still just a striking and visionary piece of work from a filmmaker, I'll tell you what, that is always going to be someone that we want to know what they're doing. Yes. That we want to see what their next project is. Because this is, this is something else. And uh, <laughs> it's, The it's, Palm Door winner. Yeah, oh, yeah. How can I forget that? Yeah. The Palm Door winner at Con this year. Incredible. So it's going to be polarizing. It definitely is. <laughs> uh, just, like, just like Malignant in a different way. It's yeah. going to be polarizing. This is not going to be everybody's everybody's cup of tea because I guarantee you some of those single dudes at the theater last night did not know what they were getting into (laughs) (laughs) when they uh, sat down for this. But it's in theaters now, and it's an experience that, if you're ready for it, uh, we recommend called Tatane. Well, let's go to two films that are part of this season's Welcome to the Blumhouse collaboration between Blumhouse and Amazon. The first one deals with a teenage girl with self-esteem issues finding confidence in the most unlikely way by spending her summer battling vampires that prey on New Orleans' disenfranchised with the help of her best friend, the boy she's always pined for, and a peculiar rich girl. This is called Black as Night. If I tell you what I have to tell you, you have to promise to believe me no matter what. Oh, what is that? I got attacked. Oh, my God. Are you By a group of homeless vampires. (laughs) (laughs) Bitch. I didn't know who was responsible, but I was going to make them pay. There's fire and decapitation. Got your ass back. Maybe we should just go. I think we use a wooden stake. What? They're vampires, duh. Yeah, and if you remember from last year's four films that were in the Welcome to the Blumhouse collaboration, they all dealt with films that were made by or about women and or people of color. And so far, the two that we've seen for this year continue that tradition. And this is one that has a little bit of maybe a Lost Boys vibe about it. You know, it's a coming-of-age story, and it's a bunch of buddies. So I think it's fun in that way. And, of course, anything that's set in New Orleans is is simultaneously fun and creepy. And also, Keith David. Keith David brings his gravitas that he brings to every movie that he's in. But, yeah, this one has themes, familiar themes, most specifically from Candyman that have come up, of the disenfranchised, of gentrification, definitely are in there. And then you've got the more surface-level fun of a Lost Boys of a Buffy. In fact, mm-hmm. Buffy, Buffy is name-checked. The lead, uh, the lead girl here, uh, Shauna, name-checks Buffy a little bit. But her, her character arc is one from moving from an insecure teen girl with self-esteem issues to powerful vampire killer. And, and there is fun there. There are not a lot of new themes, but the, the cultural lens is new, and it is worthwhile. You've got a female director, Marit Lee Goh, great name, and uh, Sherman Payne, person of color writing. And so 
it, it brings that different, slightly different type of perspective, even from, say, Candyman, because it brings up certain things that this young woman is dealing with that I don't want to give away, don't want to spoil, that just... It, it, it's one of the ways that the movie does find little moments to call its own, mm-hmm. even when it's going down familiar paths. And uh, the cast, especially the uh, young woman who plays um, Shauna, Ashja, Ashja Cooper, is very good. And as you mentioned, Keith David. So, so it's fun. It's not great, but it's definitely fun and another worthy addition to the Welcome to the Blumhouse series. And let's move on to part two. And this next one in Welcome to the Blumhouse moves the demographic up a few years, a few decades. In the barrio of Oak Springs live a strong and stubborn group of elderly friends who refuse to be gentrified. Their leader, Lupita, keeps them together as a community, a family. But little did they know their beloved bingo hall is about to be sold to a much more powerful force than money itself. This is bingo hell. We are all that's left. We have to do something. What's the plan, Granny? Should I grab my shotgun? Are you? Yeah. We're probably all gonna die. We may be old, but we still have plenty of life to live. Who's ready to play the game? So gentrification, yeah, that's the new theme in horror. Yeah, it is uh, very familiar. But this one and is also about the main character is a woman, but much older than teenage. Oh, my goodness, yes. And the, the writer-director, Gigi Saul Guerrero, is telling a very interesting story with this. And I give her credit for making the focal point of it elderly people, because it's not just Lupita, but it's her friends. They're all... Seniors. Seniors. <laughs> now, it helps that Lupita is being played by, oh. uh, I know, Adriana Barraza, who is... Great. Amazing in everything. Oscar nominated for Babel at one point. But just one of those character actors who is always great in everything. And in this, she is she's the lead. And It's she, great to see her get a part like this. It is, because, man, she just owns it. And it's funny because the character itself is very flawed. You know, she's not this saintly grandma. She's angry, and, you know, she pops off. <laughs> she maybe doesn't always make the best decisions, but she's got the community at heart. Uh, and, and she surrounds her... The filmmaker surrounds her with a great supporting cast. Mainly, however, the most fun is Richard Brake, who yeah. is another, I think, underappreciated character actor. So great in horror films. Yeah, he's got a bit of a, a Hugo weaving vibe to his look. Mm-hmm. But this one is much more much more sinister. Yeah, and he tends to, I think, I mean, he does. He brings that kind of lanky creepiness yeah, yeah. to his roles. And he plays... Mr. Big, who <laughs> runs the new bingo hall, and yep. he's great. He's just great. And it's funny that it is a comedy, and I think because the cast, you know, is a bunch of, of elderly people, you might, but it's a horror film. I mean, yep. it's goopy, it's violent, it is funny, um, and it has a lot to say. And I would say, I don't think that it ever becomes sort of preachy. Um, and one of the reasons for that is that it doesn't come up with any easy answers. It kind of points fingers in all directions. Yeah. So we'll see. We've got two more Welcome mm-hmm. to the Blumhouse next week. Yep. Yeah, we'll see if they continue the, the theme. But this this week, it's uh, definitely gentrification from two different ends of the age spectrum. Worth checking out, both of them. Black as Night and this one, Bingo Hell. Let's go to Netflix next. A demoted police officer assigned to a call dispatch desk is conflicted when he receives an emergency phone call from a kidnapped woman. This is the guilty. 911, what is the address of your emergency? 
I just want to talk to you. Okay, I'm hanging up. Just stop for a drive, sweetie, okay? Is there someone with you? Uh-huh. Is the person with know you called us? No. Who do they think you called? Your child? Yes, sweetie. Does the person you're with have a weapon? I'm sorry, I have to hang up. Give me the phone right now. I'm gonna die. What's going on? I need you to pull the handbrake hard. Pull it. This could also be known as the Jake Gyllenhaal show. Right. Uh, he is he is the star. He's on screen often in close-up almost 100% of the time. He's also a producer here. Uh, the director is Antoine Fuqua. Which always gets my attention. Yep. And this is based on a movie from two or three years ago, a German film. And it's, yeah, that sets up with a with a police officer. You know he's been demoted. You're not quite sure why. And when he gets on this call from a kidnapped woman, the voice there is Riley Keough. And then another voice comes in that's that may or may not have kidnapped this woman, uh, played by uh, Peter Sarsgaard who is also, I think, Jake Gyllenhaal's brother-in-law. Brother mm-hmm. <laughs> so the voice acting is great. They're two solid actors. Oh, yeah. And, but it's mostly just Jake Gyllenhaal reacting to these other voices, and then you have to figure out and piece together what he does as far as what's going on with the caller, and then you get bits of his backstory, why he's been demoted, what he's dealing with. And, and Antoine Fuqua has a great resume of action films, really good ones, that's much more hand-to-hand action. This Absolutely. is a different kind of tension that he has to build. But he builds it very well. And a lot of it, of course, has to do with Jake Gyllenhaal, who is, who is very good, very intense, and the great, uh, you know, I love good voice acting, and we've, yes. said, we've said many times, you just can't dial it in. No. You have to really become a character mm-hmm. that way. And they do. You really end up caring about what's going on on the other end of this call, as he does, and he gets really caught up in it and how it affects how he views his own situation. And it's a quick one, too. It's a, just about 90 minutes, and it's, a, it's on Netflix. So definitely, if you have it, it's one that I think you'll be, you'll be satisfied with. It's, it's a, a good, different, different kind of tension, different kind of action film, very, very inward. And it's as difficult as it can be to build that sort of tension through just someone talking on a phone yeah. or talking on a, a headset. Mm-hmm. Uh, they get it done pretty nicely. A tidy little, uh, tidy little tense trip with The Guilty. It's on Netflix now. How about another horror thriller? Yes, a school teacher is forced to confront a brutal act from his past when a pair of ruthless drifters takes him and his family on a nightmare road trip. This is called Coming Home in the Dark. You know, later on, when you're looking back at this occasion... Right there is going to be the moment you wish you'd done something. Where are you taking us? Home. My husband wasn't one of them. One of who? I don't know what you want me to say. I want you to talk about you. It's in the past. Let's just leave it in the past. You better kill me really quickly because I'm going to kill you. Try again. Go, 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 go! You just never, never know where the day is going to take you. You can find this one limited theatrical release, but it is also streaming right now. Right. And mm-hmm. um, and it is a spare, mean little tale. I enjoyed it. it and it's based uh, on a short story. 
which I think you can sort of feel. Mm-hmm. You can sort of feel that it doesn't. It doesn't feel like it needs to tell you a lot other than what is happening at the moment. And there's also a little bit of a sleight of hand because you're very invested in what is unraveling before you, and then by the end of the film, you realize that's not even the story. Yeah, and I'm always impressed by someone. I don't know how long the short story was, but most of the time, a short story has to be filled in a little mm-hmm, bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to do it effectively is is impressive. The writer and the co-writer and director is James Ashcroft. So to, to fill in the movie without making it feel like filler. Exactly, and, the, and it absolutely doesn't. And, you know, there is a moment, well, the break into two, the moment when Act 1 ends and Act 2 begins is quite a moment. <laughs> uh, but also the performances, all of the performances, really, really wonderful. I mean, to a degree, it's not that much different than The Guilty in that it's a very small cast, it's a very limited amount of space, mm-hmm. space, and they have to keep your attention the whole time, and they do. Yeah, and this one, like you said, is in some theaters, select theaters, but available on VOD, worth it, coming home in the dark. Next, we have another foreign film, a Japanese merchant who leaves his wife behind in order to travel to Manchuria, where he witnesses an act of barbarism. His subsequent actions cause misunderstanding, jealousy, and legal problems for his wife. This is Wife of a Spy. This is co-writer and director Kiyashi Kurosawa, who is not related to Akira Kurosawa. He probably gets that question quite often. He probably does. And this one covers, uh, reminded me a lot of a a film, the... um, the, one of the latest from Jimu Zhang, mm-hmm. who did so many great films. One of his latest called Cliff Walkers. Yes. Uh, covers very ser- very similar historical territory. And this one was reviewed uh, at uh, MadWolf.com by Christy Robb. Yeah, she loved it. First of all, it's gorgeous. Second of all, it is very surprising, and it covers a lot of ground that is interesting and not something that certainly American audiences see very often. Right. And then finally... The central performance is just amazing. So if if it's if you're interested in history, especially, I think this is a good one to check out. Yeah, and if you like this, by all means, check out Cliff Walkers as well from one or two years ago. Right. The same type of historical setting, and, and you learn some things, too. And it's crafted in a very noir sort of mystery way. So, yeah, and definitely see uh, Christie's full review. And she really liked it at MadWolf.com for Wife of a Spy. Next is the warm-hearted story of Polish immigrant and mathematician Stan Ulam who moved to the U.S. in the 1930s. He deals with the difficult losses of family and friends, all while helping to create the hydrogen bomb and the first computer. This is Adventures of a Mathematician. We saved a lot of lives of Japanese and American soldiers, even civilians. It's an act of barbarism to burn women and children alive with a hellfire. You're not here. You're absent. I found out how to solve it. The hydrogen bomb. But I'm not sure what I should tell them it's just a matter of time before the Russians get the hydrogen bomb isn't this meaningless do we want to spend the rest of our lives with a gun to our heads get out let's have no more life Another slice of history, if you are a history buff. This one was reviewed for us by Rachel Willis. And you know that title. I know. 
does it make me think, I bet this is a thrill ride. It's kind of a thrill ride. Yeah, because normally when you start, if you bring up the word math, I'm out. Right. <laughs> you know, you think adventures of how adventuresome right. is mathematicianism. But, it, you know, uh, he had so much to do with, in particular... The bomb. Yeah. The soundtrack, the score is really evocative and beautiful. And the, the way that it's set visually is really evocative and beautiful. And the writer-director is Thor Klein. And it also gets to the heart of those moral complexities about people questioning what they are doing. Yep. And whether they should be doing it because they have the knowledge, but th- what that knowledge hath wrought. Um, exactly. They're they're having to grapple with that. So, Adventures of a Mathematician uh, streaming now, and you can check out Rachel Willis's review at MadWolf.com. And one more, Anna is transported to a dreamlike and dangerous land where she joins an army of girls engaged in a never-ending war. Though she finds strength in this exhilarating world, she realizes that she's not the killer they want her to be. This is called Mayday. You're going back after everything I've given you. I made you into a hero. You made me into a psychopath. It's the same thing! Mary. Alpha. Ah! Yankee. Delta. Ah! Alpha. Yankee. You're a monster. We're all monsters. This is a wild fantasy of a film, and it was reviewed for us by Kat McAlpine, partly because this movie has Kat McAlpine written all over it. (laughs) Yeah, when I was reading her review, it was maybe twice as long as most of the reviews she writes. I'm like, boy, she really dug into this. Yeah, she did. And, and, you know, and it's a fascinating concept, this young woman who just kind of has a, a very difficult, drudgery-filled life, and she finds herself kind of Alice in Wonderlanding her way to a group of, of women who lure men to their death. Mm-hmm. And it's a it's an interesting moral conundrum, actually. Yeah. It's a, and it, it, There's a lot more complexity in the way that the story is told than you might expect at first glance. The performances are great. Mia Goth is always good, and she's really good in this particular role. Grace Van Patten plays the lead, and she also is very good, brings a lot of nuance and subtlety to the hero character. So, And also Juliette Lewis. Juliette Lewis. Pops up in the mm-hmm. movie as well. And I think um, Kat made a good point that still the, the tough subject matter and what these girls are doing, still the movie has a message about finding something good even when your surroundings are horrific. Right. And check out that review by Kat at MadWolf.com for May Day, which is on VOD right now and worth it. All right, let's head to the lobby to get some knowledge. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Checking back into the lobby where we find Daniel Baldwin, a.k.a. the Schlocketeer, with a bunch of new info. What do we got? We got uh, postponements, new release dates. What's happening? Uh, don't really have any postponements. Yeah. Not really any new release dates. Just um, two really big nuggets of news this week. Okay. Ooh. The first is that Scarlett Johansson and Disney have officially settled their legal dispute. Uh, it has not been disclosed how much money they have shelled out to her. But apparently it was enough that she is willing to work with Disney again going forward, um, including on that Tower of Terror movie that they had been developing before all of this started and, you know, maybe flashback Marvel appearances as well. 
whatever they paid out, apparently it was enough to completely smooth everything yeah. over. Nothing like a bunch of money to make your friends again. Right? Right? <laughs> but, but, of course, it's funny on that front, but, you know, it also gives ammunition to anyone else who wants to, you know, sue yeah. their own studios yeah. for similar release patterns this year. I know I'd mentioned a while back that uh, Mark Wahlberg was considering suing Paramount over Infinite going straight to Paramount Plus back in June. Mm-hmm. And, well, now he's got some precedents to hold up, although I doubt he'll get nearly as much money. <laughs> yeah, probably not. But uh, but you're right. It sets a precedent moving forward, so we'll see. Still on the Disney front, um, apparently uh, they have announced um, Jungle Cruise 2, but uh, Johnson and Blunt have tentatively agreed to uh, sign up for it pending further uh, bonus negotiations for the existing film that came out this summer. It was surprisingly fun. Had a good time with that movie. Yeah, I did too. And the other very big news of the week is that the latest uh, lawsuit over the Friday the 13th franchise right has come to an end. Uh, Original writer Victor Miller has been allowed to retain the uh, copyright hold that he was granted the last time the lawsuit was filed. It doesn't look like there'll be another appeal filed again, so I guess they're at a bit of a crossroads now for you know anyone who's hoping we get more Jason movies in the future. They can either try to make their own separate ones, uh, they being original director and producer Chris Cunningham and then, of course, writer Victor Miller, or they can get together and sit down gracefully and craft a new deal together to uh, try and keep the rights together going forward. I don't know... <laughs> I don't know how uh, likely the latter scenario is to happen, but if it, if the former goes the way it goes, we're we're in for a real mess going forward because Victor Miller owns the name Crystal Lake, uh, the nickname Camp Blood. He owns Jason Voorhees' name, but not his adult hockey mask form, just you know, little drowned uh, dream boy Jason. Mm-hmm. And Victor Miller can make an, a new Friday the 13th movie where Mrs. Voorhees is the killer. He just can't make one where Jason is the killer. On the flip side, Cunningham and company could go make a big hockey mask killer movie using all the iconography but not the names. Mm. So that's a real uh, slippery slope. So where does Scarlett Johansson fit into all this? <laughs> that's a good question. Um, hey, maybe she could play Mrs. Voorhees for Victor Miller. You never there know. There you go. <laughs> I want a piece of that action now. It's my idea. <laughs> there you go. Start pitching it right now, George. All right. You can always find the latest info from Daniel at The Schlocketeer on Twitter. Thank you much. All right. Thank you. And actually, Daniel The Schlocketeer is going to join us uh, a little more than usual next week because he got to see No Time to Die with us earlier this week, and he is a huge James Bond aficionado, so he's going to join us next week to uh, talk about that one. Yeah, yeah. And then we're also going to talk about Lamb, which I'm so excited about. And how about this for next week? Muppets Haunted Mansion. Now, that's a that's a double feature that I cannot oh, wait. Cannot, cannot wait for. Cannot wait. Also, VHS 94. Knocking. Madras. The Manor. And Detention. And I just want to point out, all except James Bond next week, horror movies. How happy are we? It is October. And there might be some more added next week. You never know. There usually are. In the meantime, what do you think about this week? Boy, a lot to chew on. Venom. You got Tatane. Come on. If you saw Tatane, <laughs> I want to know what you thought about that. Or Adam's Family or The Sopranos. Man, this is a big, big, big week. Big, Chock full of goodness. 
Uh, so let us know. You can always keep the conversation going. We love it. You can find us on Twitter. We're at Mad Wolf, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. Also on Facebook and Instagram. It's Mad Wolf Columbus. And the main website where you can catch all of our written reviews and our other horror movie only podcasts. Perfect month to start digging into Fright Club if you haven't already. That's all at MadWolf.com. So keep in touch if you can. Welcome to October. Until next week, she is Hope Mad. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap.